Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, where we explore how you can get some more color, creativity, and healing in your everyday life. We get to look at the spectrum of eating, living, feeling, and creating that you're all about. So let's dive into the inspiration and information rainbow that awaits us. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna. Thanks so much for being here with me as I'm interviewing Joseph Clayman. Joe is a massage therapist who has had quite a journey of many different injuries and experiences that led him on this path of basically uncovering this very childlike flow in the body and how that can be a healing force. I think you're going to be really intrigued about this discussion and what unfolds. I wasn't even anticipating what we talked about as we did. And so listen in and um, see what your inner child thinks. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast. Today, my guest is Joe Clayman. And uh, Joe is a massage therapist who has worked on a lot of different fronts with different therapies, looking at the neuromuscular system, looking at emotions, and really into this whole area of health that I would consider flow, the flowing part of us, the moving part of us. So I'm, we're going to have fun in this conversation going in many different places. I can already anticipate that. So welcome, Joe. Good to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So the question that I ask everybody that I interview is is one that really breaks ground on uh, something that's very important in life, and that is, what is your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. Blue. Yeah. And, and what kind of blue? I'm, I'm kind of curious, like a sky blue, a navy blue? More, um, it's, I guess they call it like a Carolina blue, or it's more like yeah. a, a more vibrant blue. Very nice. A vibrant blue. I like that. And and blue in the seven systems of health that I teach is really connected to the brain. Even blue colored foods have certain nutrients that help with things like learning and memory. And these even blueberry compounds go into our brain and, and help with cell signaling and such. So... Yes. Uh, so we're going to have a heady discussion, perhaps, as well as maybe an intuitive one, uh, which is also the connection with blue. So tell us a little bit about you. Um, tell us about your own story and how you came to become a massage therapist and really have a lot of interest in neural movement therapy. What's, what's kind of your path? Did you have anything that really sparked that for you? I actually did. I had, um, I was brought up in a family that was about um, working and structure and when when I got out of the, you know got a little older I went in the military right out of high school and then I went to I got a corporate job for about seven years and um, pretty much accomplished the American dream by 25 years old and I was like great now what and I was bored and um, unhappy and just kind of miserable I guess you could say. And uh, I went, walked into my job one Friday, and I quit. And I sold two houses, a car, everything I owned, right down to about 12 boxes of things. And about six months later, I was sleeping on a, the floor of a concrete basement on a mattress. And that's about all I had left. 
and I started completely over. So that kind of brings me to where I am now. I just um, I was I wanted to be a massage therapist since high school, went in the military instead, and then um, decided you know what I'm gonna I want to move to the Caribbean. So I was like, how do you move to the Caribbean and make any money? So I became a massage therapist and moved to St. Thomas shortly after school. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what, what was the unhappiness factor for you? I'm just kind of curious. When you decided to quit on that day, what was the breaking point? Was it kind of like money wasn't satisfying you? Did you just feel like this intellectual restlessness? Did you just feel like, hey, I just want to do massage or, hey, I just want to go live in the Caribbean? Like what was, what, what did you think was going to make you happy at that point? I really didn't know exactly. I just knew that what I was doing was killing me. I, uh, 26 years old, they took me to the hospital. They thought I was having a heart attack. And it was kind of a wake-up call for me to, to figure out what's, what am I doing to myself and is this really worth it? And, you know, the, I was making close to $70,000 a year and I had anything I could possibly want. And I went home every night and really didn't have anything worth me being happy about. I didn't have experiences. I was like, I grew up in a life of buy this and buy that and, you know, buy a new car and have a car for a while and until you get the first payment and it's not really that happy anymore. So you just kind of keep, you know, we, we grasp at things trying to make ourselves happy and we're not really sure what happy even is anymore. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. we go in that perpetual search of trying to figure out what's, um, what it really does make us happy as like a state of being and not just like, you know, buy this and feel happy for 30 seconds or, you know, for a few days and then we throw it away because it doesn't make us happy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's so good that you developed that sense very early on in life because, you know, at the age of 25, not many people are really honed into that. You know, they're really um, perhaps you know, just the opposite, really cultivating their work life, their professional life, and just climbing the corporate ladder or accruing possessions, whatever it is. And so you had that wake-up call really early. You didn't have to wait to midlife to really <laughs> start no, to see into not. your life in that way. So kudos to you for that. So you went to become a massage therapist, and did you move to the Caribbean, or what, what happened? I did. Uh -huh. I actually, um, I started or finished massage school in September of 2008, actually, in Washington State. So I was living in, like, the Tacoma area. And I graduated September 2008, and by November of 2008, I was living in St. Thomas. I had done all my research and everything, got on message boards and everything, trying to figure out what I needed and what I didn't need, places to stay, like, people to know. And uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, we just up and took off and we moved, moved south and we, it was a struggle. I mean, you, everybody goes to the Caribbean and they, they're vacationing down there. And I always kind of giggle when I hear someone say, oh, I just love to move here and just stay here forever. But they're afraid to go on the other side of the wall, right? Because where most people go to the, go to the Caribbean and they're living in, you know, or staying in these big, big fancy resorts and everything's just hunky dory and like people are feeding you and taking care of you. And you don't realize what happens on the other side of the wall where people are actually surviving and living, you know, and it was a very big wake up call to like actually be down in that and be a part of it. And, you know, fend for yourself and try to get from point A to point B without a car and, and trusting people and, you know, just really living that, living that true experience that way. So, so, and it sounds like, you know, just like the fundamentals of living, the basics kind of at that level of, um, fight or flight. And, and so I'm curious, were you able to make a go of your work with massage therapy then? I did. It took a little bit to get going because there's one thing about, they, about 
living in the islands that they call like island time where everything just moves a little bit slower and even including calling people at the government's offices and even like retail stores where, you know, they, they suggested to me is like, if you're going to call, make sure you call before noon because some people just don't come back from lunch because they just go out to the beach or do whatever they want. So it takes a little bit longer to get going in places like that. Mm-hmm. So, but mm-hmm. once I got going, I was doing fine. I was making great money. And, um, I experienced one of the other things that everybody says down there is that the island will tell you when it's time to leave. And five months, not even five months of being there, I think it was about three months of being there, I was in a motorcycle accident and I broke mm. my left ankle. So, and I was sent back to Ohio with my family. So. Wow. Is that when you started to get more into the essence of movement in a different way other than massage therapy? I did. Because I actually, um, I've done from my my own ankle physical therapy. I've had a couple surgeries other than that. And I've actually done all of my own PT and rehabilitation ever since I've been anything I've ever been injured for. So, and it really started to help me understand, um, I guess with movement and with physical therapy is that it's so baselined. It's so structured, right? That it's to the point where if you're instructing someone to do something, it's like, it's this way or no way. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Where what I started learning was that when I couldn't figure something out, I would learn something from a doctor or a chiropractor. And they're like, you're, you're just overthinking it. Or you're, you know, I heard the lovely phrase paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. Like, you know too much and you can't fix yourself because you're overthinking it. Right. So then I started thinking, I was like, well, how, why don't we just get rid of all of the baselines? Right? Why don't we just play and move around like kids and just have fun and just accomplish the same task, really? You're still just moving around. So, for an example, I have a client that she goes, Man, I just really wish I could just bend down and pick my shoes up. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And it sounds so simple. And instead of her um, giving her these exercises of, oh, you should do more squats or you should like stretch more or do all these things, and like I have a client that come in, like, why well, don't I know if I'm even doing the exercise right? So what I told her, I was like, 20 times a day, reach down and try to pick your shoes up, right? And that's your exercise. Mm-hmm. So I give a lot of my clients these exercises that are just, I mean, you can call them absurdly simple, but if you're trying to do something, just keep doing it. I mean, that's how babies learn how to move is they, you see a toy and they're like, you know, how do I get over there? Well, I'm just going to keep trying until I get there, right? But our, we don't change. We're, we're still, we learn the same way as we did as a baby, so why not just keep trying? You know, your philosophy sounds a lot like Feldenkrais, where, you know, it's almost like there are some basic instinctual movements that we all have as human beings, and those are formed way back in infancy. So kind of wiggling and, you know, turning on our sides, you know, just certain basic movements in order to prime the brain. It's almost like the, our body movements change our brain function, and our brain function is changing our body movements. So I'm kind of curious, uh, did you arrive at this from studying other disciplines or did you just kind of feel like you got these insights from working with clients and you thought, let's just make this more simple for people, this whole element of movement? I actually started with, um, I had two hernias fixed and I was, this is really where like the, the guts of this whole thing started was I went, they said seven to 10 days, you'll be all back to normal, it'd be fine. 
Well, six weeks later, I couldn't stand in one place and lift one leg off the floor. I was wiped out. And I went back to the surgeon. He goes, well, you walked in here, right? So you must be fine. And that was when it all started because I was like, I am not fine. I need to be able to do more than walk. Like that's more than important. You know, it's important to me. And I went, I had already studied um, infant field development, like movements. And I was studying a form of dance called contact improvisation, which is one of the most fascinating dances I've ever learned because it's randomized instinctual movement. And I was in a yoga studio by myself and keeping these two things in mind. And I started my entire practice that I have today from four yoga blocks. I just laid them on the floor and those are my things like playing with blocks like a little kid was. And I would create all these cool little moves and I'd grab the the physio balls and roll around on it. I would see if I could roll over top of myself and how fast I could touch all the blocks and, you know, and just create games that way for me to play. And when I left PT the first time, he tested my front plank and it was nine seconds. Face to the dirt, everything I had was nine seconds. And in the month's time of developing this, I never did a single plank. He goes, come back in a month, do these exercises, and we'll see where you're at. So I decided, well, I'm going to do research because that's what I love to do. So I started playing around on the floor with these blocks and mixing the dance I've learned and le- le- mixing like developmental sequencing that you, you learn as babies. And a month later when I went back, he measured my front plank and it was a minute and 10 seconds. Wow. And I, never, and I didn't do a single plank the entire month. All I did was move around, right, without mm-hmm. baselines, without someone telling me how to do it or whether I was right or wrong or, you know, if it was, you know, you weren't holding it the correct, the correct way or you weren't doing the, the, the plank in the right direction or, like, using the right muscles or anything like that. So there's no criticism. It was just play. So and, are you saying that uh, really the, the healing element is combining play and movement, so Correct. the moment we become very analytical and, you know, everything is timed, it's based on performance and, you know, it's kind of like um, singular movements perhaps rather than the complexity of maybe taking a ball or blocks and doing things that are a little bit less structured that we get better results. Is that fair to say based on what I'm hearing from you? That's that's pretty much the results I've seen over the last three years of working on this is that um, I have clients that I'll give a simple instruction. So I, I use blocks still to this day. I made blocks that are colored. So they're, they look like a completed Rubik's cube is what they look like. And I'll give them instructions and, and it, it's really mind blowing because I'll have them on the floor and the instruction is touch a red target with your right hand and touch a blue target with your left hand. And I watch them and they freeze. And here's, here's an adult that has, that does adult things that, that, lives a normal life and is successful at their job and i tell them to take the right hand and touch one color and the left hand and touch another color and they freeze on the floor going well you, you didn't tell me how to do it i was like what do you what do you mean like, you didn't tell me what, how to how to get there and i was like well you just touch them you just move over around and touch them and it was just fascinating to me to watch starting from children playing with it where they're like i would say kids using my devices look like little ninjas running around because they're really, there are no inhibition really. They're just like, this is really cool. And they're just flying around doing all these things. And then what's been really interesting is watching the progression of age from someone in their thirties to their forties. And I had someone almost in their seventies last week in it. And the amount of slowdown that I see in adults from 
in their 20s up into like their 70s where they're like okay i don't really know what you're asking me to do or i had someone that would grab a hold of the ball and hold on to it instead of touching it well they're not wrong and that's what i tell everybody i'm never going to stop you because you're doing what i asked you to do but it's how you perceived what i said mm-hmm. right so that's why i took all the baselines away you're still moving and you're moving with what your brain is telling you to do you're just not doing what i asked you to do but it's what you heard so there's nothing wrong with it where i say touch a red and touch a blue i meant just touch it and some people grab a hold of it and hold on to, to the grab a hold of the next one they won't let anything go until they have a hold of the next one securely you know and me being a massage therapist i have to very watch and and i want to preface this too is that you can, with what i developed you can get really deep into psychotherapy with it so i have to really watch you know the things i say and like the questions i ask people um because i haven't asked the only reason i asked this because it was a client of mine and a, and a colleague of mine and i asked her i was like why were you holding on to the balls i'm just curious and she goes i thought you're going to trick me i thought it was too simple hmm. right so there's where our thought processes come into play where it's not just movement anymore right laban always said that you know with every movement there's a thought or an emotion Right. So if I'm standing in front of you in the street, you've never met me before. And I say, hold your arm out in front of you. Right. Or close your eyes and hold your arm out in front of you. Do you trust me? Right. So there's an emotion still attached to that arm moving. So it really isn't just movement. It's not really just psychotherapy. There's there's the psychosomatic aspects of everything that I work with. Right. Why did you do that? Right. And I basically tell them there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Right, so I watch people do incorrect things all day long. Right, touch a red and touch a blue, or you touched orange five times, but it doesn't matter. You're still accomplishing what I asked you to do. Is it? I'm just trying to imagine this because it it feels like there's something really simple here that people are overlooking. Like it's their their headspace is kind of getting in the way of all of that. Whereas if you ask a child, touch a red ball, touch a blue ball. Uh, it might be a little bit more pure and they might just do that or they might have their own interpretation of it in some way. But it sounds like what you're describing is that, I don't know, I'm almost imagining like a twister game where you've got all the different colored circles and you play that as a kid where it's like, okay, you spin the spinner. Where does your left hand go? Where does your your right foot go kind of a thing? You know, it's just, and, and you have to connect to a color. And so... It feels like you're discovering a lot of things by observation of people doing very simple tasks and taking much more away from that uh, about the body, you know, and, and I'm seeing so much of this, you know, there's a book called Smart Moves, really connecting in our movements with, again, our brain and, and how you're really registering this psychosomatic aspect. You know, I'm kind of curious. Let's let's just go very high level for a second because every time I get a massage and I'm a huge massage advocate, I get a massage probably um, three to four times a a month uh, because it's just part of my, it it just has to be. I do a lot of computer work and if I wasn't doing it, it's just, I'm not taking care of my body. I, I move as much as I like to move, you know, and perhaps right. in a more creative way. So I want to get into that with you too. But I want to ask you this question that I ask all of the massage therapists I go to, all of them. I ask them, in all of your years of doing massage, what have you noticed about people's bodies? What what have you, uh, like if you can just zoom out and say like, wow, I noticed, I'll give you an example. I had a massage therapist who said to me when I asked her that question, she said, 
people's bodies are a reflection of their lives. So for her, what she would see is people with concave shoulders or maybe, um, what do you call the neck where it's going forward? And it's like their job has instilled into their bodies and you can actually see that or even maybe it's about self-esteem where you know we have lowered heads or uh, kind of coward poses and so let me ask you that question just at a very high level if you can just give a sound bite and say hey Deanna this is what I've learned from working with all these bodies over the over these years here's my wisdom here's what I have seen as a major pattern what would it be I would say it's one that really reflects into my life, actually, going back even a couple of years ago, is that how much mental health affects the physical body, right? It's the, it's the escape or it's the I'm not worthy or I can't do anything good enough mindset that we bury ourselves under, right? Like dad, ever, dad always said I couldn't do something that well or, or – um, you know, I was never going to be fast enough or I could never play that sport like he did because I wasn't good enough or, you know, where you're, we got, we have to really get back into the mental health of, of our society where we're crumbling under our own weight. Basically mm-hmm. Thomas Hanna studied the red light reflex where it was, you know, the disengagement of the, of the front body to go into fetal position and, the amount of back pain I see, and I don't make any scientific claims because without evidence, I'm a very big person on the scientific process. But if you collapse the the front body of the front of your house, basically, and now we're cantilevering off of our back, we wonder why we have low back pain. Mm-hmm. Well, if the front of your body isn't working or isn't, you know, you don't have the abdominal wall because it's now collapsing so you can go into fetal right or we're living under assault basically our our bodies are trying to tell us that we're not safe we don't feel safe so we're trying to live in red light reflex and walk around like that um so with me i used to be that i used i walked around hunched around i would mumble all the time i wasn't i wasn't confident myself and i had a good friend of mine we were done with a class down in atlanta and i was helping teach and he walks up to me, and it was really profound for me. He walks up to me, puts puts his hand on my chest, looks at me. He goes, "You need to stand up and be proud. You're a big, strong man, and you need, you need to like be proud of yourself." Mm. And it was one of the most profound moments of my life because I was like, "What? I, no one's ever really told me that, right?" I mean, my my father and my mother have always been very supportive of me. They're an amazing people, but to really hear it from a friend deeply, just, you know, not your mother or father, but like another human, another, another adult man to walk up to me and tell me that was very profound for me. And it really took me a lot of places from there. Like it really, it really changed my whole life to understand that. And I stood up taller and my shoulders were rolled back. And as I kept processing that thought and really being happy with who I was and really finding my true happiness back, I found that I didn't really have to go to the gym to get abdominals. I didn't have to like mm-hmm. work out that hard. That all of a sudden I was like, wow, I just feel really good. And like my body's strong and I can do things I haven't done before. And I just feel like there's so much missing in our mental health aspects of our society that it's just swept under the rug. You know, we're exploited, you know, our inner child is, is exploited as, you know, towards marketing or towards politics or whatever. And you can see 
the attack of I have it and you don't or I have more than you do and you wish you had it kind of thing and like our marketing today in our commercials are is what I remember I haven't watched TV in over 20 years but um, looking remembering back when I see commercials now I'm like man this is stuff you'd see on Saturday morning cartoons but it's <laughs> advertising to adults mm-hmm. and it's just like mind-blowing to me that how do we get to this you know to this point without addressing it and then someone brought up the frog in the water the other day how we can you know you put a frog in cold water and slowly boil it and doesn't know it's getting boiled right it's just over the course of 20 or 30 years that we start making these changes and marketing gets mm-hmm. smarter and they're like oh let's just play with their inner child and you know and we can get them to buy things because you know you know right. they're not happy in their inner self so we'll throw these cool things at them and make them like hey if you buy this thing you'll be happy So, Joe, this is all good. You know, you're really connecting the dots between societal influences, the physical body, the mind, people's emotions. It's kind of like spanning our entire lifespan from our child infancy to our adult life and and really connecting multiple dots here. It's like this huge constellation is forming. I'm kind of curious. So, let's just take me as an example. So, um, for me to go to the gym, it's like, you've got to like twist my arm. Like, I'm not really loving that. Uh, I don't like the smell of the gym. I don't like being in the gym. I feel like I'm in a box. How do you work with people who have, like, how would you work with somebody like me who really has to find a way to, to move? You know, it's not like I have any major health issues per se. So like, there's not a lot kind of at stake for me in terms of getting to move but how would you inspire me like everything you're talking about really resonates so then I'm kind of curious how would you put all of this into action with somebody who's really wanting to be more in alignment with their bodies and how would you lead me there what I do with people I work with elderly I work with children um, I work with just the every every normal person and the beauty of it is is like within 15 minutes of, of playing some of these games I created, and, and there's a reason I call it a game. There's a reason I call it let's play. is because nobody wants to exercise, right? It's always had this negative connotation to it, like, oh, I don't really want to go to the, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to exercise. So with my clients, I'm like, hey, let's go out and play a game. And I take them out in my movement room, and we go out there, and um, I'll either set the blocks up, or there's a game I created called the chair game. And What's all of that? My, so all I'm of curious. my games are revolved around strategy and movement, right? So it's it was a study of constraint therapy that they used with stroke victims mm-hmm. to get them to use their diaphragmated arm or their, their, their bad arm, if you want to say, from the stroke. So they put their bad arm in a sling and they make them use their the affected arm for like six weeks, I think it's six hours a day until they start regaining movement back in again or be able to use it. So I'm like, well, why don't we use that with healthy people and create games out of it? So the chair game is you place two chairs about 12 feet apart from each other and you're going to sit in one chair and move to the second chair. But the two solid rules you can't break are you can't walk on your two feet and you can't crawl on your hands and knees. (laughs) So any other thing is completely okay you can do anything else you want and the the interesting responses you get from people are like well i can just i can walk on my knees or i can i can hop over there like on one foot exactly (laughs) 
So then what I do for people, if they, you can play with, like, if, like, a husband and wife could play, or you could play with your kids, is that you can either help each other and be teams, and two people can go, okay, well, you're going to go first, and you watch them go across, and the other team goes, okay, well, next time you can't let your left foot touch the floor, right? And now you have to go mm-hmm. back from that chair to the other chair without letting your left foot touch the floor at all, or your left knee, and you take something away from them. Well, then the other teammate on the other side, if you're playing with two people on each side, can I call it micro-coaching, right? And I use that in multiple different things of uh, motivation and stuff with people. But micro-coaching would be you're standing away from them. They're lost in the problem, right? So they're going, how do I get up on this chair? I don't have any feet. Mm-hmm. So they're lost in their own little puzzle trying to get back up on the chair. And the other person on the team is going, Okay, so why don't you pull the chair a little bit more this way? Okay, now now switch arms. Now now let's use the other foot a little bit. Okay, there you go. And it's just the little things that you're seeing as the third person outside of their puzzle helping them accomplish that. So it helps teach listening. It helps teach clear and concise direction. So couples playing this can really help each other, like, communicate. Like, I didn't really think you meant that, right? Or I didn't think you meant it that way or... You know, and like, oh, we got up on the chair, and, you, and it's it's a reward. It's a dopamine reward of like, hey, we we did it. We can we we accomplished this. Um, so that's one of my fun games like, I play with everybody. I mean, it's really like there's another one I really liked with with spatial awareness with a group, and we did it in one of the dance classes, and it was um, everybody was in a circle, and everybody closed their eyes, and they would call two people's names, and you could only make sounds. You could either snap your fingers or uh, clap your hands or whistle or whatever and the two people in the middle of the room had to find each other face to face only by the sound they heard so I like it really multi-sensory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that was one of my one of my favorite ones and then I also do one of my clients came up with this as we were trying to figure out a way to randomize the block game to play by yourself at home so what we did is we can actually take suggested things like you can only use your right arm you can only use your left foot you can't let your right foot touch the floor and put them in a hat right just something you're going to draw out once a day to give yourself a, a new something new to work at and what she does is she'll put um she used post-it notes and i have people i was like you can use your shoes you can use whatever you can make There's, an app from this oh absolutely yeah absolutely yeah, so there's there's all these different targets you can use you're just using a target so what mm-hmm. I suggest to people is pick things that you enjoy seeing or enjoy wanting to, to touch or that things that make you happy. So you're creating your own imaginary space that makes you happy, right? In your room, in your, in your cube, if you want to call it. I, I built an actual three-dimensional cube. And people can design their own space in that cube, and that's what they play in. Um, but in your house, it's just a cube anyway. So just create your own space that you want to move in. Create targets you want to touch. Maybe they're stuffed animals. Maybe they're pictures. Maybe they're something you know that you're you're attracted to. And what they do is some people do it off time. Some people do it off of um, just the fact of movement, right? Or playing with another person. But for time, you can set your phone timer for five minutes and count how many touches you do. So I can't use my left hand. I can't touch the floor. I'm going to use my right arm only, and I'm going to touch a hundred times, a hundred target or the five targets I have or the 10 targets I have a hundred times, right? Until the timer goes off. So you can decrease the amount of time. You can decrease the amount of touches you can do um, and just move 
just play this game and see if you can maybe beat yourself. Like, set a new standard for yourself every day to accomplish. And you're just playing in your home by yourself. Nobody's watching you. You can move however you want. You can dance. You can sing. You listen to whatever kind of music you want to. And just move around and just play. Well, I'm kind of curious. Would you say that this is equivalent to going to get a workout at the gym? Because, you know, when I go to the gym, I'm sweating. And I feel like my muscles might be in pain when I'm done, or I might feel some soreness. I might actually feel some more energy. Am I going to feel anything or what do I get in return? You will be tired. Hmm. You'll be very tired. I, um, when I put people in the, my, in my cube, I developed usually you're pretty much sweating after about 10 or 15 minutes when I'm playing these games with people, because this is only theory, of course, because it's something I've been researching on my own. And I just have, tons of data from the last three years, like hundreds of people I've worked with on this, on this. And I think it's because it's eliciting such a survival response in the body where you're going, Oh my God, like I don't, I, I have to remember how to do all these things and I have to move. And like, so your body is essentially using more muscles maybe to where you're going, okay, well I don't normally exercise that muscle, but I have to get over there somehow. So how do I get over there? However you can. So now you're using other things you wouldn't have normally used before that aren't trained as the rest of your body would be. You're not trained like your glutes would be or your quads or something like that. You're you're moving in your core. So if there's movement if there's muscles in your core that aren't really used that much, um, Thomas Hanna talked about sensory motor amnesia. And it comes back to the same idea we have in the body of if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. So mm-hmm. my theory of that is, you know, if we're say you're only going in the sagittal plane or you're walking forwards forever, because that's most people's lives is that we're always going forwards. Right. We don't <laughs> work behind us. We don't twist. We don't turn. We just walk forwards. <laughs> so we look at a computer, we look at a phone, we look at the car, right. everything is forwards. Mm-hmm. We just walk straight. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Even if you look at CrossFit or boot camps or any of the exercises, mm-hmm. go to the gym, everything is just forwards. We hmm. don't do anything behind us. Right, so how many of those other movements that our body does, the other millions of movements that each little muscle can do that we're not using anymore? Right, so it's mind-boggling, you know, just all the directions that you can go in, like really applying the science of creative movement, and um, you know, again, that this really translates into rewiring the brain differently. It it really does. I love this whole whole space of what you're doing. Um, So. Give us some, uh, you know, how can we, you you just gave us some practical tips, I would say, you know, writing down on a piece of paper and post-it notes and all these little uh, interactive type things that you can even do on your own. You can do them with a partner, your husband, spouse, kids. Um, Are there other things that you want to share with us about how we can be more within the seat of our inner child and really in that space of gamifying flow. Because I do think that if we're having fun, we're going to stay with doing these types of things. So I'm just curious, you know, just even edging out there a little bit and getting people into that zone of familiarity with, okay, this is how I do it. Um, Inch us out there just a little bit more. Any other tips or skills that you'd like to bring to the forefront to help us to gamify flow yeah actually um there's a couple i i love music festivals and that was something that actually changed my life was going to one i went to bonnaroo in 2011 
for the first time. And I went there as this like stuffy old person at the point, you know, cause I'd already been in corporate for a few years and I was like, I don't really understand this thing, but I'm going to go and check it out. And I got there and I was like, I don't understand. Like there's adults running around, like acting like kids. This is crazy. And it took a few years and it, and I was down in Florida for Halloween this past year and I was watching people just playing pretend and like acting, just having fun. And, you know, it's, it's really just like finding a way to let go and finding a place you can just be free of judgment and not mm-hmm. worry about a baseline, not worry about if someone's making fun of you or what, you know, I always say this about Bonnaroo and like different music festivals is that you would literally walk around with a pair of underwear on your head and someone's probably going to take a picture with you because they think you're like, man, that's amazing. You can do that. (laughs) Right. And it's just like letting go. It's Mm -hmm. literally like realizing what is actually important. What is really important to you? What, what would make you laugh every day? I say this all the time. If you can't, if you don't have a laugh or a giggle once a day, then really like you need to look at things a little bit differently and figure out why you're not having any fun at all. Wow. You know, I I think probably so many people as they listen to you through this podcast and probably through your work, you know, there is this aha moment of, you know, thinking about fun as medicine. We always hear, at least in my space, I always hear food is medicine. You know, physical activity is important. Lifestyle. But what I think you're bringing it into is an even more primary, basic, fundamental that we have overlooked as adults, which is being our child selves and allowing, it's not even being that, but giving ourselves permission because we kind of feel like, well, that's such a waste of time. It's like, why would I go and do that? And it feels kind of awkward, you know, and I think for many people, it's probably getting over that sense of like, it's not even getting a laugh. It's like, this is laughable. Like, why would I invest my time doing this? It doesn't feel productive. Right. And I, I'm, I'm sure that you have this conversation over and over with people. I mean, what do you say? Like, how do you compel them? Because you can tell me this in my head, but it's kind of like, eh, you know, um, but I got to be busy. I, I've got to be productive. I've got to do these things. How do you connect the dots of showing them how important these playful movements, laughter and childlike expression are in their lives? Like, how do you actually show them the benefit? Um, the easiest way that I do is when I bring, have somebody in my facility is using them, bringing them inside the cube that I, that I created. Cause it's just this, I really love to share a picture with, of it, but it's just, it's basically a, a seven foot cube that has strings or, or cords through it that you can move around anywhere you want and has primary colors on it. And I put them in there and I start giving them simple functions and it's just, you know, touch a red and touch a blue. Well, then it's now touch red but say blue and touch blue and say red so it's mixing kind of luminosity mm. and movement at the same time and i keep and building i love it that up. you brought in color by the way yeah so i really keep them going to all of a sudden it's like all right switch your left and right hand what you're touching and then after every three touches cross under a cord and and they get lost in it to the point mm-hmm. where they'll, they'll stop and they're going what am i even doing i can't even remember what you asked me to do <laughs> <laughs> and I can they see finally, that happening. They finally realize they're like, this isn't about movement at all. This is about thought. It's just about letting go because does it really matter you touched orange instead of red? Does it really matter that you didn't count correctly? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter, right? You're not hurting yourself or hurting me or hurting anybody else in the world. So who really mm-hmm. cares, 
right? Just come in and have fun, create the space however you want, play the music that we want to play, and just have fun. And they leave 15 minutes later, and it's it's literally the magic that keeps me going. It's the, it's this medicine that when someone leaves and they thank me, or like I get a message saying, you know, I see colors differently than I've seen since I was a child, and, and like things I never even noticed before, you know. And this is 15 minutes that they spent in there, and they're a completely different person. Their inflection changes, their their demeanor changes, their the way that they hold themselves, and it's one of the most beautiful things. And it's it's really what keeps you going after three years of working on something that you're wondering is this really something that's worthwhile or not. But when someone walks out and thanks you, a completely different person every single time, it just keeps you going. Oh, I bet, I bet. Have you actually heard that before? That people say that they're seeing colors differently. How talk. I'm just curious about the color aspect, of course, because everything I do is connected to color. What role do you think that the colors play in this? Is it just part of the game, or do you think that there's something more to it? I think um, my theory would be like the primary colors. So it's really the idea that I've created, my, my solid theory of human health is to, we need to return the mind and the body as far back to its original source of what it is, which is light. And that's why I really fell in love with your one article. It was talking about light, you know, and, and how important it was. And so when I built the cube, it was about the condensation of the prism back to one source of white light. So it's bringing it back to where, where we started from. And that's why I called it core, because it's the beginning of everything, right? Mm. So we need to get the mind back to the simplicity of spatial awareness, right? We keep trying to fix vestibular problems with someone still grounded to the earth, Right, you can't. We have to take everything away from the human body as best as possible to let them heal. And that's why in psychotherapy, when they're having a hard time breaking through to someone, they they ask to see if they can find their baby blanket or their teddy bear. Mm. Right, it's when they can find the closest point back to their start, to their beginning that they were stable or comfortable. Right, so all of my work takes it. It's all based on spatial awareness. It's all based on light, sound, vibration, color. Um, just happiness, and it literally bring try to try to create a way to get the mind as far back to that as possible. It makes me happy even thinking about it. I'm I'm really trying to sense it as you're talking about it, and it almost feels like it's taking me back in utero. It is really kind of like that initial part of us, even before we could speak, and we could only sense, and we had to find our way in the world, and. Um, it's the purity of that too and it is I feel what all of us are I kind of see life as a circle right it's not a line it's a circle and as we get older and as we let go of more of the physical it's almost like we return to that state of being more (laughs) within those uh, instincts and that core essence that you mentioned so it's it's really beautiful and I, I love how you're cracking the code of getting to that place of healing by returning us to our own source. And uh, that there's just something really, I just feel significant and sacred about that. So thank you. Thank you, Joe. This is, um, I, you know, again, didn't know much about your work uh, until this conversation and just some, some basic uh, reading about you and, and what you're doing with neural movement therapy. How, how can others find out about you? Do you want to share your website or other things that you're doing that could inform people? 
Yeah, um, definitely check out the website. And I'm actually working on, I've had to build everything in myself. Um, so I'm definitely working on getting better marketing and better websites and all that. And, you know, everything takes money. So it's just been a, it's been a slow process. But the idea of, and I, I know I'm going to ramble a second about this, but it's really, I've made a point in the last year of my life to simplify to the point where I had to realize what I was capable of myself, right? To where I walk three minutes to work every day. I own three pairs of pants. I'm, I'm very much like, I think I call it the capsule wardrobe. So I literally own eight pairs of clothing. I eat the same 12 things every week. I walk three minutes <gasps> to work. I <laughs> like, I literally, I was like, how far back can I take this to find out what really makes us happy? Right. So it's, I, I've always used my own body as research and that's what I've done is just really seeing how far back I could go and say, this is really what all you really need. This is, this is what you need to be happy. So, wow. Well, and let me get everybody your website. Um, neuralmovementtherapy.com, right? Is there anything else that you wanted to? So if we go there, we can learn more about your work. And do you have a Facebook page so that we can kind of work with you and evolve with you through your journey, through through all of this work? Okay. I do. um, The company's name is Move, M-O-V-E. And the website or the Facebook page is Move by Joseph Joseph Clayman. So it'll be all together. We're trying to change the... The, the title of it and Facebook gave us a little bit of slack about that. So we'd <laughs> so work what we could. Clayman. Yeah. Joe, this has been fantastic. It's been very inspiring. And um, I know that people listening, I, I know that there's something in here for them as well. So it just, it, it feels so, um, it feels so authentic. It feels so really connected into our source. So thank you so very much Absolutely. for being on the podcast. It's, it's I, been a pleasure. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can I actually sure. end with one thing that I actually wrote in regards to like my whole thing? You bet. So I, I made this as a comment the other day and I was like, wow, that really like it was so profound to me that it was really everything I had been working on. And it's a short paragraph, and it says, How long can we preserve the essence of childhood, the pure emotion, expression, creativity, and wonder, the desire to stay curious, question everything, and learn? We are praised for talking and walking, and then told the rest of our lives to sit down and shut up. Mm. Always told we are wrong, or there is a better way to do something with no respect to the idea that you shared. We just want to play, we want to be heard, we want to move. Amen. You said it. Play be heard, and move. On that note, thank you so much again. This has been uh, incredibly inspiring, Joe. Thanks so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it.